hello everyone. Uh, this is uh, Scott and Casey. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mark chapter one. Actually, we're going to be ta talking about Mark and uh, and giving some introductory uh, information before we uh, dig into the text and future episodes. And this is uh, this is a pre uh, a prequel to uh, a Bible study we're doing at church. Uh, for those of you listening from church, so uh, Casey, you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, we're going to be doing, as Scott was just saying, we're going to be doing a study through the Gospel of Mark and highlighting key themes and actually expositing it um, and having teachers each week exposit certain passages. And it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be interesting because right now in the rotation, we have like five guys, um, Joe, yourself, um, Dan, Chad, and then myself. So it's going to be should be a good time for sure. Yeah, I think so. It'll it'll be good fellowship and we're going to be doing discussion, right? So it'll be basically yeah, half teaching, gonna, half discussion. We're going to center the Bible study around more of discussion as opposed to just long sessions of teaching, you know, so that yeah. people can actually voice their opinion and, you know. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for fellowship and for different people to use their gifts in that context, but with like oh, the word yeah. at the center, right? Yep. As long as, no, as long as no one starts barking like a dog, we're gonna be good. Yeah, that'll be fine. I don't think I don't think barking like the dog like a dog is biblical. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. But yeah, so week one, I'm gonna be teaching on how the gospel opens up, and I'm gonna be talking about the historicity of the gospel, its historical context, um, the cultural context, key themes, highlighting key themes, um, and then obviously with with you, you're going to highlight, you know, the gospel and you're going to highlight the first passage, what, 1 through 15? Right, right. The next week. So it should be exciting. I'm really stoked. Yeah, so we're we're going to do like, a, we're going to do an episode per lesson. I think that's the plan. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so that people can follow along and then maybe if we haven't clarified things after each teaching session, maybe what we'll do is have um, you know, at the end, maybe people can send in questions somehow, and maybe we, you know, send in questions and we can answer them. Um, yeah, and we'll probably get a sense at the study. We might get a sense if there's uh, unresolved questions or things that are especially important to dig deeper into. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Which would that that? Yeah, because you can't answer everything on the spot. Sorry, I got ice in my mouth. Um, yeah, sometimes people have to leave early. Yep. Um, or on time, rather. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be able to maybe, through this study, give opportunity, like I said, raising questions and then, you know, attempting to answer them the best we can. So, right. And, you know, hopefully people benefit from it. But the reason I'm opening up with the historicity of uh, Mark and even, like, key themes, like highlighting, like, the fact that Mark seems to be writing his gospel with the idea that, is Jesus really the Jewish Messiah? Mm. You know, um, which is why the gospel ends abrupt. It seems like Mark is trying to get his hearers or his audience to see, or not to see, but to um, ask, do they believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Can they confess that Jesus is the Messiah after all that he has gathered from mm. Peter? You know, um, and... It seems like there, there's that and... What does that mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, and like, that's it. Really like, there's there's, there's what the question that really of, mean? yeah, that's a good point. It's like the question of, is Jesus really the Jewish Messiah? Because if he is the Jewish Messiah, 
then how come he was dominated by Rome? How could he do all these miracles? Right. You know, you see basically from one chapter one through eight, you have Jesus who starts his ministry and he basically goes against a lot of the understandings at that time of what a Jewish Messiah would do. Right. There are some functions, obviously you and I would recognize that, that, you know, the, the ministry of healing um, as, you know, being signs and wonders and, you know, something that a Messiah figure could do. But in Mark's gospel, where he talks about, you know, the Sabbath, mm. you know, and he reinterprets the Sabbath around himself, like for yeah. a man to do that is pretty like that's in stark contrast to what we find in the Torah. That'd be so, unacceptable. Yeah, it's, it's not even. Yeah, that's not acceptable at all. I mean, in some sense, the idea that a Jew was being creative with the word of God is like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. Like many mm -hmm. Jews were creative with God's word at that time. And you can think of Philo. Um, you can think of, you know, um, some of the rabbinical teachings afterwards. You can think of, you know, um, certain Jewish texts in the intertestamental period. But it's very it's unprecedented to hear someone like Jesus say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Hmm. Whoa, what, like, yeah. what's that about? So it's very in your face. It is. And so I think, yeah, the gospel of Mark, which, you know, many people call the first gospel, um, many scholars and many, I think even it's just kind of accepted within the church. Hmm. It is the first gospel written. Um, I just figured, why not just do this book? It's shorter. Yeah. It's quicker. You know, it's easier to read. It's mm -hmm. the points are, you know, really simple to get. So, yeah, he, he you know, Eusebius records Papias's writings and his and Eusebius's church, you know, history. So right. um, it says, and the presbyter would say this, Mark, who had indeed been Peter's interpreter, accurately wrote as much as he remembered, yet not in order about that, that which was either said or did by the Lord, for he neither heard the Lord nor followed him. Hmm. But later, as I said, Peter, who would make the teachings Anecdotally, but not exactly an arrangement of the Lord's reports, so that Mark did not fail by writing certain things as he recalled, for mm. he had one purpose not to omit what he heard or falsify them. Mm. So it seems like from that little quote, and you know, you can gather that Peter had some, you know, influence upon Mark. And you know, the Mark that yeah. um, is referring to is the Mark found possibly in First Peter five thirteen which Peter okay. references Mark, and then you have in Colossians, I believe it's 4, um, 18. You can check if it's 4, 18, where he mentions Mark as well. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see that Paul and Peter both mention this guy named Mark, um, John Mark. So according to Papias, you have Peter dictating, you know, to, to possibly to Mark. So mm -hmm. it's that that's kind of like, church tradition you know that this gospel yeah. wasn't just you know off the cuff that there was you know mark who had or peter who had influenced it so i always thought that was cool yeah and that's that's colossians 4 10 that we're talking about yes that's it colossians 4 10 yep so awesome okay yeah. so yeah so uh, i figure i'll cover that in week one you know and then we'll talk about um just the themes you know, you have at that time many Jews looking for the Jewish Messiah. They wanted a, a kingdom, you know, and they wanted a king who would overthrow, you know, Rome and, you know, make war on the nations and who would give them back their land, their territory. 
And with Jesus, like I said, you don't see that. It's the opposite. You see him doing things, casting out demons and, you know, um, going to war on the devil. But you don't really see him going to going to war on Rome. Right. You know, it's more he's going on. He's 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 addressing larger issues which have to do with, you know, spiritual warfare, things like that. So according to Mark, I mean, because he opens up his gospel with, as you'll be talking about, you know, you know, fulfilling the prophecies. But then it's like instantly as, you know, he goes into ministry and at the baptism, he gets filled with God's spirit. He goes to war with demons, casting them out of people. So that's another key theme in Mark. So as far as themes uh, go, some of the major themes in, in the gospel of Mark, um, can you elaborate a little bit on the on the uh, royal or the the kingdom uh, thing? Uh, yeah, it's you know this is something that has it's actually made me um, love the Bible even more because when I've read the Bible in the past and I had no concept of the intertestamental period and how the Jews had been actually seeking a royal king who would deliver them, you know, mm. from the oppressors, because obviously they were being oppressed by, you know, Persia, Greece, you know, um, Babylon, you know, uh, Rome. And so many of the writings we find during this time are about them being delivered from the oppression and asking, where is God in the midst of the oppression? Right. And trying to discover God in the midst of it, which makes sense because just like in modern day, you can, you know, modern day examples. Um, in countries like Haiti that are war torn, you know, certain parts in Africa, or as you had mentioned, Yemen, you know, these places in which people are suffering, that's a large question. Where is God at? And, you know, it's something many people are still asking to this day. So understanding that the gospels open up with trying to solve this dilemma, but they, but the gospels don't do it in the traditional way that we as humans want or expect God to behave. Mm. You know know what? If I could just interject something, I mean, probably plan on doing this anyways, but it would probably be really encouraging in the study to connect that with, so what about today? If we were in Yemen or if, or if you know, yeah. we were being persecuted, if we were going through some major suffering, how does, the way Mark answers that question for the Jews in his day, how does that help us understand where God is today in our suffering? That might be a really encouraging kind of connection to make. Yeah, absolutely, because... Um, it's it's the human condition. Yeah. You know, we all want deliverance yeah. in some sense from you know ourselves, but also from you know neighbors and the outside world. We live in a hostile environment. Um, I mean, not us per se, but many countries and many people do. They can relate to that. So with Jesus, this was very appealing to me because when I understood that the Jewish people had been wanting liberation mm-hmm. from oppression. Um, and you read the Gospels, and you have that backdrop, it helps explain what Jesus is doing, but it also kind of turns our questions on its head hmm. in some sense, because like I said, the deliverance that Jesus offers is a, is different than, you know, an immediate solution. Right. Like, you know, and like I said, so it's easy to see why people miss the messianic ministry of Jesus because, you know, they were expecting something radically different. Yeah. The Jesus they seen, he was doing some things that, you know, you can contribute to, you know, uh, 
someone who has God's spirit, right? Someone who's being empowered by God's spirit, because there are tests, there are Old Testament characters who did similar things like Elijah and Elisha or Moses, you know, where Elijah and Elisha, they performed miracles, you know, and they did different things or King David and, you know, but the, the, the Davidic kingly lines in the Old Testament about conquering enemies through force actually shifts with the ministry of Jesus because Jesus no longer conquers people with the sword, mm. he conquers people with, you know, the, uh, with, uh, you know, his sacrificial life in some sense, you know, he, he lays down the sword to give his life for other people, you know, which is why he can say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So yeah. rather than going to war with people, he does something completely different. He goes to war with the human heart. Yeah, that's interesting. It's so, interesting. This is obviously a completely different genre, but it's interesting that the the sword of his mouth is a is a symbol in in the revelation, right? And yeah. it's interesting because it really was his his words and his words acted out through his life and also his death and resurrection yeah. that ultimately brought Rome to its knees. Yeah, cuz like I said if Jesus the reality is if you if you can transform the human heart you can transform society yeah whereas if you just transform the outer things around us it like you know if you implement rules and you know structures that are in place that you know make society better right but that, does it really make society better because the human condition is pretty messed up it is right so so jesus the gospels paint jesus is going to war again with our heart and that's not to ignore the social political context of the gospel and to make it abstract and to be, you know, like ethereal with interpreting the gospels. But um, mm. I just think that it's interesting that our king and the gospels, King Jesus, rather than conquering people with the sword, he gets conquered on a cross. Mm. And I mean, that's radical because we live in a culture presently you know, or currently right now that, um, you know, it's all about, you know, um, Jesus, guns, and, you know, whatever, whatever else. Right. And I mean, that's not everyone, but that is, you know, in our, that, that is in our American culture, that mentality. And for me, I just, I'm like, have we actually read the Gospels? Hmm. Well, have let me we actually read about Jesus. Let me just add something coming out yeah. of the other side, right? Yeah. There's, there's the other broad narrative of it's our it's our systems that are that are the problem we need to change our systems and that's gonna that's gonna bring in paradise right yeah, Which is like marxism or you know it could be marxism it can be even conservative ideologies you know we're trying to fix the world you know through implementing structures and rules that's a good point yeah and it, it, it you know building some type of utopia but obviously that doesn't that hasn't happened in society and it's, you know, to be clear, that hasn't happened in our own society, you yep. know. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, again, you can implement rules and structures. And I think we should, in some sense, as human beings, attempt to do good in society, obviously, you know. But going back to Jesus and his ministry is, yeah, he gets conquered. And that's how God sets up salvation. Mm -hmm. It's through the Messiah being conquered. And that's not something you can really find in the Old Testament. You have Isaiah 53 that Christians and even the New Testament writers interpret in light of Jesus. But I think if we would have, I think if they would have gone back prior to 
having had the experiences they had had with Christ, where they seen him suffer and, you know, get killed, um, they would never have probably interpreted that verse as a Jewish Messiah. Right. This is about, you know, this guy that's going to suffer. It was only after his resurrection that they began to believe that these verses now point to Jesus because he's the first one that was raised to life. Right. So in a unique way. Um, Caesar obviously was called son of God mm. and even called savior, you know, right. and, savior of the world. Yeah. Savior of the world. Exactly. So, you know, you have these titles being applied to Jesus, right? Yet the way Jesus does again, the way Jesus operates within his savior titles, if you will, is a lot different than the way Caesar and the emperors had acted. Right. You know, like I said, Jesus is doing things completely different than what they would have known a savior to do. You know, savior like like maybe like the Caesars who go to war with, you know, other tribes and other people groups and they conquer people by putting them on crosses and they go to war with people and they implement their good news, you know, into cultures which had everything to do with, yeah, that's what the gospel means. The good news of, you know, it means the good news. So, um, yeah, I think the gospel writers take these same words and they obviously apply them to Jesus. But to also be, you know, uh, to try to be fair with, you know, with uh, with this is um, Jews in the Old Testament, you know, people are called son of God as well. So it's not just a Roman title. Because you'll hear people say, oh, this is, you know, Roman imperialism. And some scholars get stuck on that where they interpret everything in light of Roman imperialism and mm. Jesus and Caesar. And I, I'm not convinced of that argument. I think it's both. Um, I think that the Jewish writings um, have this, they, they have these words um, prior to Rome existing. These words are used in the Old Testament. So um, obviously they do take on meanings within... Right you know, the Gospels, and within, you know, if you're reading these Gospels and you're, and you're a Gentile, and you're hearing, you know, for the first time, this language about the Son of God, mm. there, if you're a Gentile, your first, I'm, I'm assuming their first natural inclination would be, oh, wow, this is, this is Caesar language. Yeah. You know, but I think Jews have always had Son of God, Son of Man, um, savior, these quote-unquote uh, words. So, I, I, yeah, I'm not completely sold on the idea that it's just a Roman, you know, ideology. Right. So. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Their perspective would be colored by the fact that they are part of the Roman Empire. I mean, obviously, but it, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to reduce what they're saying to that right yeah it, i don't think that's like, fair yeah that's only the that's only one part of what influenced them they also have this whole tradition right that goes back thousands of years yep. that talks about god and uh yeah son, i mean even god. the angels the sons of god yeah you know um, it, it, that language is there so you have isaiah 9 right yeah i mean uh, it's, it's woven into the human condition right well, it's, it, well, there are things that are woven in particular into their culture just because yeah. of the scriptures. But yeah, there are things just woven into the human condition too, right? That's yeah. for You know, looking for the son of God or, you know, the unique, the hero, you know, um, this heroic figure that would arise to power. I mean, 
you know, that's in every culture, someone who would deliver a people. Yep. But again, the way Jesus does things are completely different. And, and that's what I'm excited about going through this gospel, because a lot of a, there's a lot of confusion. And even amongst myself, this is why we study mm. you know, to study God's word and to study in a way that would make us live different lives. Right. We don't want to just, you know, read the Bible and then just like, well, it doesn't really apply to us in the here and now. I mean, there Mark's gospel is like a lion. You know, it's roaring. You just have to listen and pay attention to what Mark wants to say. Yeah. And once you do, it, it literally, the Gospels are like, like I said, they are like untamed lions. Yeah. You know, and, and Jesus is, and what Mark does in, with Jesus is amazing. Like the fact that he sets him up with all these parallels. And like I said, he's casting out the demons and he's going around in, in the synagogues and he's teaching with authority and he's, you know, doing things that, the Jewish Messiah would possibly do, but then he's doing things that the Jewish Messiah wasn't expected to do. And that's, that's where Peter and the disciples began to get confused. in the last, you know, chapters of Mark, I think it's like 11 through 16, where they began to question Jesus. And, you know, Jesus even says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, because he starts to talk about the, the Messiah suffering right. and dying and rising again. And they did, obviously they, they didn't get that. Yeah. They had no clue what he was talking about. So yeah. Peter being zealous for his traditions and for his people, he was probably like, man, I, I don't want him to die. Mm. You know, like we've been following this guy. We've given up fishing and we've given up our lives to follow him for these year, these three years. Yeah. And he's telling us he's going to go and die. Like, really? You know, that's that, that. I mean, that's it's like, I don't know. Imagine following a leader today. And, you know, if we didn't have Jesus and. They start talking about them dying and leaving you and, you know, sending you the spirit and rising again. We'd be extremely sad, confused, perplexed. Well, you, you just know? think about how would Trump supporters and Jesus is nothing like Trump, obviously. But, you know, how would how would Trump supporters react if Trump said, you know, what? and he would also never say this, but I have to go and die for the people like everyone. All the supporters would be like, no, you keep your butt in the White House, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy thing, right? It's, and I, like I said, even the, like you're saying, the disciples, they had no idea. And that's what makes Mark's gospel even more fascinating is you can see the honesty in it. They're All really struggling to make king, sense. Right? What is it? All they knew was that he was king, but they didn't get yeah. what that meant. They don't, they, yeah, because king to them meant, okay, well, when's he going to overthrow the yeah. rulers? And it's like, think about the, you know, the, um, the brothers, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right and, you know, your left side? And he's like, you don't even know what you're asking. Yeah. And we know who was at his right and left side when he was, you know, being crucified. It was the criminals. Mm, so weird. when Jesus is being crucified or when he when they they're wanting him to, you know, when they're wanting to come into glory with him, Jesus is like the glory is coming through the cross. Mm, that's interesting. You know, it's not just coming through, you know, um, the the overtaking of a of an empire it's coming through crucifixion that's why he says the things he says about if you're going to follow me you better be ready to die and be crucified and they didn't understand that you know yeah. and in some sense you can't blame the brothers for asking jesus if they can come into his come you know sit next to him on his right and left hand but like i said that's you know that meant crucifixion yeah you know, like crucifixion seems to be a very large theme that hangs and looms over the gospel of Mark. Yeah. You know, so it's like, 
that's why I think he leaves another reason why he leaves the gospel of Mark at the end or, or where he doesn't necessarily end it the same way that Mark or the same way that Matthew and Luke do. Mm-hmm. Because it's like this cross like is overshadowing the story and he's asking his hearers, like, are you willing to like have your life ended abruptly? Mm-hmm. Like, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Because believing that Jesus is the Messiah, your life could be ended as well. And obviously there's a resurrection there, but it's like the it says the women left afraid and said nothing to no one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, it's Mark being creative, but I think also just asking like rhetorically, like, are you willing to follow Jesus? Like, are you willing to do that? You know, and that's you know, that's a especially during that time, right? In that culture. And I mean even and, you know, the applicability of that in our own culture. Like, are we willing to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus is dangerous. Yeah. Well, there is, there's also, it's also important to point out the upside, right? It's like being baptized. He says, will you be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. I had no idea he was talking about the cross and the suffering that he was going to go through. But uh, the upside, you know, w- what he communicates there is, the to the extent that we share in his sufferings right through faith we enjoy uh all the more of his benefits in eternity there's a correlation and it's all yeah the, the, the suffering servant yeah i mean that's that's huge and that that's something that as christians you participate in so yeah i'm very stoked about this bible study i'm excited you know i'm excited to also hear from other people you know not just listening to my own voice, but seeing other people participate and use their gifts. And, you know, um, I think God's going to do some cool stuff with it. Yeah. Are there, are there any other themes uh, that you'd like to dig into? Um, I think we pretty much touched on a lot of them, which is, okay. you know, I mean, NFC, right? like uh, give us bullet points of, you know, yeah. you should remember. Yeah. Like if, if I, if I had to, give you guys some points to think about it would be that jesus his messiah identity is unique it was it was something expected but unexpected Mm. the way jesus does things is unconventional not always conventional and he transcends his own culture which in some sense he transcends our culture um you know the key things to look out for when you're reading the gospel of mark is paying attention to what drove jesus's ministry so number one that would be the spirit that is baptism because the spirit empowered him right jesus was a human jesus was a human being you know like i think sometimes that's another thing that's forgotten in the gospels is that people typically just think oh yeah jesus is like just god running around in the flesh and that's why he can do what he he was doing but no i mean it says in mark chapter 1 verse 9 that at the baptism the spirit came upon him and filled him then it sent him into to do the ministry right and that's number one number two would be jesus drives out the satanic forces right jesus is battling demons number three would be jesus is performing miracles and healing people you know which in isaiah there's there's some prophetic writings talking about you know people being healed and you know the nations coming into uh you know jerusalem and then number two jesus is god in the flesh or number three jesus is god in the flesh you know, um, which is why he's forgiving people. And they're like, who can do that? Like, who can forgive sin? 
you know? So Yeah, forgive sins. Yeah, and there's times, you know, number four, Jesus, there are things Jesus does that it's, you know, it's like he's almost in some sense breaking the Torah, but it's because he himself is the Torah. He is the lawgiver, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff will be hashing out as the weeks go on. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm excited. So. Can I ask you a question about the yeah. Torah? Yeah. You said sometimes he's breaking the Torah. Is he breaking the Torah per se, or is he breaking traditions uh, if they, that were believed in his day about the Torah? I would see. This is a complex question because I don't think I haven't read anyone who's actually defined it in a way that's satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you read the Old Testament, there are verses that specifically talk about if you do this or you break, you know, like if you, you know do something unholy during the Sabbath, you will be stoned to death. So I think it's a complex subject because even we know there's a verse that Jesus quotes about David going in and eating the bread, but that's a unique thing. Like, I don't think the Old Testament, like Moses and them would have said, oh yeah, that's a good thing. So, I mean, that's a very complex subject that I can't wait to get into as the weeks go on. But I do think that in some sense, Jesus is redefining the Torah and this is my own random thoughts. You can take it or leave it because he himself is the Torah, like he is the lawgiver. And so, you know, um, it's like if you get I mean, I, I can't really I can't think of a human example, but yeah, I guess you could say if you're the owner of a company and you give out rules for people to obey. But later on, you decide, well, we're going to do something different. Mm. Only the person, I guess the owner could do that. So. You know, I guess you could say maybe that's one way of looking at it as poor as it as an example or as poor of an example as that is. I think it works. I think, you know, I mean, in some sense, like I said, I don't think we're going to have a satisfactory answer, but I think we can basically come to the conclusion that Jesus did critique their understandings at that time of the Sabbath by doing good on the Sabbath and healing people on the Sabbath and doing some things that maybe his own culture would have seen as like heretical or evil right so yeah or you could you know go or it's maybe it's it's both maybe okay well that'll be an interesting discussion huh oh yeah 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 for sure all right you want to go ahead and uh uh close it there yeah for sure yep all right awesome um then uh well thanks man uh thanks for talking to me about this it's really encouraging i can't wait to get into it more on wednesday nights Oh, me too. I can't wait to hear your teaching, too, because you're you're actually going to be opening up the study, which you have maybe the best verses, <laughs> one, one through 15. I like the end, I like the end verses, too. Those are some of the best verses, too. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, like the first part, too. And I, you know, I'm excited to hear um, uh, that. I'm excited to hear Chad teach on the calling of the first disciples. You know, yeah, I'm excited about Dan doing, you know. Jesus and the demons, you know, dealing with that subject. Um, and they feel, what is it? That'd be good. Yeah. And then, you know, we're going to have Joe do, and I entitled that one, Jesus the Missionary, because obviously Jesus starts his mission, you know, with going, you know, and doing all the cool little stuff that he did throughout Galilee and Israel. So, or Palestine, I should say at that time. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Thanks, man. Thanks for kind of coordinating too. That's an extra, like, you know, taking on that responsibility. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So then eventually, we'll, you know, I'll break up 
chapter two again, giving people portions and sections. So um, maybe I'll leave you for Jesus in the Sabbath. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily mind. Yeah. I'll let you do that one. That way, that way, if something goes wrong, they can blame you. Yeah, that'd be good. Oh. I, I wash my hands of this. <laughs> That's good. You should. You should definitely wash your hands. <laughs>